My guest today, Andrew Herr, is the founder and CEO of Fount, which is looking to change the way human health and performance is optimized at scale. I know that sounds audacious, but he just might be the person to accomplish it. He has twice been given the distinction by the US Army mad scientists. He helped the US Department of Defense allocate billions of dollars towards the optimization and performance of everyone from Navy SEALs to Army grunts. He's since moved on to help US soccer in the Miami Heat get better performance out of their teams. And now, as the founder of Fount, he is using machine learning, his years of experience optimizing performance, and millions of dollars that he's already raised to build a next generation personalized health company. This is a really big idea with a lot to break down. So let's get into it. Here is Andrew Herr. We talk with a wide spectrum of companies on this show and Candidly, their goals are sometimes small, sometimes medium, sometimes big. And then occasionally we will have someone on where the goal is so expansive that it almost is uncomfortable to talk about because most of our, most of our lives we're, we're setting, you know, reasonable, you know, step-by-step forward goals to make it through. But from our pre-interview, from my research, from my actual experience using Fount, you're talking about systematically disrupting healthcare and how millions of people improve their their personal health, their wellness, their performance. How did you plant your feet and decide to take a swing at such an audacious big hairy goal? I'm a kind of a skeptical guy by nature, you know, trained as a scientist and uh, it's been a really fascinating journey for me to get to a place where I also believe we've figured out how to solve the entire healthcare thing, which is I recognize a pretty strident statement. So, you know, out of um, grad school, I had an opportunity to do a really kind of weird mix of health physics and immunology and national security policy. Have a kind of a family history. My dad's a doctor. My mom's side of the family is a bunch of Marines. And so have kind of like both the science and the military stuff. And there was a theme that kept coming up, which was, you know, when I was working with the military, like, we know how to optimize a thousand Navy SEALs. You can use elite coaches. That's not that many people. You can you know, surround them with the resources and the facilities they need. But what do we do for a hundred thousand army grunts? And then out of that work with the military, I'd be speaking at conferences and executives would come to me and be like, Hey, I get with the special ops people, but like, what should I be doing? So I built an executive coaching business, ran training for their companies. Same question. Like, I know how to do this for the C-suite and we just take the best coaches in the world and really deliver incredible programs, but how do we do it for the rest of the company all the way down to the factory floor or the warehouse floor? And obviously the thing you'd like to do to scale this big would be to make digital coaches. But the problem is that none of the data that exists today can ever get you there. We use blood work and wearable data, all these things, and they're all really valuable to give you what direction to go in. But none of it is enough to actually customize to the individual because there's so much variation. So, you know, one person could have a blood marker be low because they don't get enough in their diet. Another person because they don't absorb it. A third person because their body uses too much of it. And so if you don't know which of those three it is, it really matters how you would approach it. And so, but... 
to do this right, you would need a data set unlike anything exists today. Today, we have these like 20-person clinical trials. You know, a lot of people use this sort of like population scale, non-experimental data, which is, you know, when you only have the correlation, you often end up like assuming the wrong thing is causing what you want. But what we realized was in these programs we were running for special operators, we were running for pilots, for executives, we were collecting the highest fidelity data set in the history of healthcare. Dozens of experiments per person, rich pre and post data, blood work and wearable data and everything and running experiments with them. And I think that's the key piece. We're running all these experiments. So suddenly now when I have dozens of experiments per person, instead of in a study, one experiment, like I have this really cool data set that you could use to make digital coaches. And I think that is the long arc to say, I knew you needed to be able to customize the individual, but it took me a long time to realize that the data was the problem and not the analysis, not the approach, not the branding. All those are critically important, but if we could build this data set that allowed us to build digital coaches that meant we could scale hyper-customization to millions of people, then we could solve diabetes, obesity, heart disease better than any drugs because nutrition and exercise and supplements work better against those than any medicine on the market. And that really set us on the big goal, which is like, let's go after the whole thing then. Let's build this special data set. Let's build the tools and let's deliver this to everyone. And so there's kind of, you know, different stages. When you have a big vision, you have to really see the component, the component steps that are required to get there. And I've had, I've been lucky enough to get to experience your kind of V1 offering, uh, which is a highly tailored, highly personalized, high ticket form of this health and wellness coaching that allows you to bring in enough of that structured data over time, two years or so, to eventually develop that AI tool and have it be something that you could trust delivers results for an enormous amount of people when you decide to actually scale it. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the right way to think about it. It's like, basically our customers today, we're doing everything to get them incredible results because we want our data set to have how you get to incredible results. And obviously we want to make it fun and exciting. And our coaches are former special operators or people who train Cirque du Soleil artists. But it's all towards this bigger goal of helping millions or hundreds of millions of people. And and so the expression of that in its earliest stages, you, you talked about these experiments. You also talked about supplementation. When when I came to you, we said, you know, I've got a, uh, a baby. I'm, I'm fatigued. I, I, I would love to have better sleep or get more rest from my sleep or just, you know, be, be more clear minded throughout the day. And so you, we ran these initial couple experiments. I already started to see results in a very short period of time, which helps because you do have all that background. Like it's not the first time you've heard someone say, Hey, I'm a little, you know, lethargic and I would love to, to improve that. So you kind of have your kind of standard top of the funnel experiments, I would guess, Hey, this is a problem. Here's our kind of standard, but eventually you just continue to push down optimizing ever more, which you've experienced doing not just for the military, but for us soccer, the Miami heat, like it, it, it's a, a corpus of knowledge. That you are basically trying to scale. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There are obviously the most likely things to work, but there's two pieces of that. One, some things that seem like they work, let's say you feel better, you might find they push certain lab metrics the wrong direction. And so we really want to be smart about integrating those data sets. And then the second piece is, you know, we gave you three experiments and only two of the three work worked for you. And so that's exactly, you know, it might be normally one of three or in some clients, none of those first three experiments may work. 
And but the way they don't work tells us where to go next. And so, like, I have now quite a bit, quite a bit of a better sense of how your body works from those three experiments. We looked at the, you know, modulating your stress hormone system, your inflammatory response, and your sort of like central activation with light. And from those three things, we now know where to go next. So, you know, I'm obviously happy we can deliver some results really quickly, but it also now opens up this whole world of next generation experiments that will push you even further and really can tailor down like not only, hey, I want to feel better overall, but like, hey, what happens when I want to do two hours of deep focus work this afternoon? And if, you know, your body is the most valuable thing that you own, it's the most pot, you know, highest potential, uh, highest value tool in your tool belt. Um, I, you know, I throw out every Milwaukee stool that I have in my garage before I would, you know, throw out some sort of capability of my body, then knowing how to operate that to the highest degree has the potential when you're talking about someone in terms of value, it's, it's self-evident that, you know, if the U S soccer team, uh, has less jet lag or has a higher degree of performance on the world cup stage, it's obvious to most people what the value of something like that is, or a Navy SEAL unit or a top executive being able to close their stuff. But translating that down to anyone, anywhere is its own type of narrative and marketing challenge that um, I'm curious to see how, how you've been thinking about it in the, in the scaling uh, phase of Fount. Yeah, absolutely. So the way we think about it is sort of twofold. One, people want to get better. Like I would say that like, there's really only four things people care about in this business. They want to perform at their job or mission in their sports and hobbies, in relationships, and they want to look and feel better. And so if you think about opportunities across those, it's not like, hey, we want you to feel less bad. It's like, hey, we can make you feel better. So I think the positive spin is very different from what you hear in medicine, which is you know, you're treating a disease. It's all about reversing or preventing a negative. We can really give the opportunity space to people. And that's really exciting. And then we have a bit of like a barbell strategy in the way we approach the market and, and what we're going to be launching. So we have our core Fount Concierge program that's really highly tailored and, and really a lot of fun to do. And then at the same time, we're going to be making some of the insights we generate there available to the broader market. So for example, we can now send about 95% of people anywhere in the world with no jet lag. That's based on a combination of insights from my work with the Navy SEALs and from our clients. And so that'll be a physical product, a kit with an app that has an algorithm that customizes it to you. And so that'll make it much more accessible than, you know, our core programs coaching costs 10 to $20,000 to do. You know, we think they certainly deliver that value, but obviously that's not accessible to many people. But, you know, for your trip to Australia or your trip to Asia, you know, our fly kit product costs like $199 to not have jet lag on the way there or back. We find a lot of people see the the pretty the ROI there is pretty clear. So if we go back, you know, before the founding of Fount, and you're doing this executive coaching, you're doing this uh, coaching for the military. Uh, what what I was struggling with is to some degree, you know, you were running all of of human performance for the military. Like that is not a small budget, that is not a small responsibility, that is not a small impact, and yet there was this you know decision or choice or 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 you know, feeling compelled to take the next swing. I'm really curious to unpack that with you because what I find sometimes, and, and I, in, intuitively, I think I'm picking up from the past interviews that I've consumed in our limited interaction is this almost feels like something you have to 
get out of yourself and share. You almost feel compelled that if if you were, you know, to say pass and have all this information and, and insights that you've unlocked not be passed on for the benefit of others, that would be a, a disservice to some degree because of how many things like jet lag that you figured out. I absolutely feel obligated to use my personal resources to help other people. I, I've been very lucky in my life in a lot of ways. And so I do feel an obligation to get back. It was definitely um, very present as a kid, you know, military service back many generations on my mom's side. My dad also served in the army um, doctor, right? So like I had a lot of the give back stuff around and I, I really take that to heart and I really do care. Um, and at the same time, you know, working with the military was incredibly rewarding in terms of the mission. I love working with the people, but it's a big bureaucracy too. And bureaucracies can move slowly. And so I got some wins I really cared about. We were able to get biology education um, more prominent in some of the service academy offerings, like the West Point, Air Force Academy, things like that. So we were able to get some programs funded there that, that were leading the future as well as some human performance efforts. But there's also a really interesting thing you find that I found when I work with the government, which is like when they buy services, they'll go to the lowest bidder. It's like, okay, well, we need, you know, coaches or physical therapists. We have to put out a bid and whoever has a qualified physical therapist, even if they're not the best people, they'll get set in. But they can buy products too. And they're actually much more used to buying products. They're more used to buying fighter jets than services of, you know, people to support. And so what I realized were twofold. One, I could move a lot faster if I were in the private sector. And two, I could even help the people I was working with in the military better if we could turn this into a product instead of services. And so those two things together made me both ready to, and then eventually the bureaucracy made me, I had to leave. I was, you know, there's some meetings in the Pentagon that you should be cursing in, like people in uniform, a bunch of Marines, like they don't care if you're cursing. There's also you know, like meetings in the Pentagon where you're in like a business suit and a tie and everyone else is, and you probably shouldn't be. And I started to see my, I started to see myself lose my ability to like filter in a way that I was like, okay, like time for me to go. But also there's so much bigger opportunity. And, and again, that I never want to underestimate the speed with which you can do things in the private sector and then circle back. We sell our jet lag product now to special operators or to the special operations units at a higher level than we could do before because they have the infrastructure to buy it. So in that sense, then, um, the rate that, that you needed to move, what were the things that had to happen quickly or are happening quickly with Fount in order to have this dream be realized? I know that a big part of this is the data collection side. Can you just maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing is how do you hire and build a team in the government? Hiring can be incredibly slow. And if you make a mistake, it's very hard to fire someone. So, you know, in a startup, you can hire fast. And if you have to, you can fire fast. Second, we've been able to put together the right mix of partners in a way that if it was the government, there would have been a lot more like government unique contract requirements or things. You could imagine something I can execute in two weeks that they might have taken six to eight months. And so like putting together our partnership with companies to do the labs, making sure we have um, the best wearables to monitor stress and sleep, and then you know being able to you know deliver 
through the right communications platforms. Like, you know, the government might have a contract with WebEx and like, I don't know how many of your customers or people you work with want to go onto a WebEx, but like, you know, we can do it a lot faster on Google Meet or Zoom or something like that. So, you know, it's just the technical pieces and the decision velocity in startup is just so much faster. You know, there are places in the government you can do it that fast. You can imagine inside some of these very, you know, there's special operations units and then there's special special operations units. Like there are places where decisions get made very fast. And obviously on the battlefield, it's a requirement. But in building technology and building a company like this, the private sector and the venture capital route was the right route. Got it. And then from a a, a pitch standpoint, you know, these venture investors, they're they're not just looking to they, they love having a positive impact. They also love a compelling business model and a moat that protects that business. So I really think one of the the things that had to be, you know, front and center with that pitch was being able to structure this data, running all these experiments, um, and, and hitting a certain scale in a certain way becomes this moat akin to, you know, other other great data moats that are out there, be it, be it Stripe or Google or some of these other uh, forms where, you know, they just have more information coming in. They have more engineering and, and you know, computing power uh, assessing it. And then the outputs are obviously going to be differentiated, which becomes self-reinforcing. There are just not that many people in the world who've had the experience from thinking at the sort of research and development strategy level and the implications of what you'd want at scale down through, you know, run companies, through like coached individuals themselves, through run research trials. So I feel really lucky that I've had a piece of so many of of those elements that allows me to think about this and then the team we've put together. So my COO ran machine learning engineering at Wayfair. He's an elite data scientist, also happens to be one of the world's top like aerialist circus straps performers. So he's really into human performance himself. So we've really put together a team of people with unique skills. And, you know, I was able to then go to investors and say, look, there just aren't that many people in the world who can do this. And most of them who do have either, you know, seven to eight figure coaching businesses, or they're running human performance for pro sports teams or others. There just aren't that many people who want to who have that background and want to build a venture scale business. And so, you know, a lot of our moat was our backgrounds and our ability to execute on it. And then absolutely, as we move forward, we as we build the data set, we gain insights at a very like at an increasing velocity. So we accelerate over time and it just allows us to deliver better and better results faster and faster. So for anyone to catch up, they'd have to replicate something that's extremely hard to do. And we'll have a huge lead. And some of this, um, some of these insights are also, you know, we have a patent on the jet lag product because of sort of the brand new approach we've taken there. So, you know, we want to make this stuff accessible, but we also have to build a business. You know, often building a business is the best way to get technology into people's hands. And in terms of the the touch points of that business, so individualized coaching, um, data collection experiments, can you talk about just um, some of the, you know, it's, it's, it's wearable technology. How else is the data actually being collected? Yeah. So when you start the program, we do your blood work. It's not like the finger prick Theranos approach. This is like, you know, full blood draws. To be fair, it's like a dozen or more vials. Some people find it a lot, but, you know, we're getting 110 plus biomarkers per blood draw, typically every month or six weeks. So tremendous amount of data there. So we get blood and urine. 
Then we're getting a baseline on sleep and stress levels through HRV, heart rate variability, which can kind of measure how much sympathetic nervous system, how much fight or flight activities in your body. And then we've built this really phenomenal interview process. We take a full hour and a half with our clients to really understand first their goals. You know, the first thing somebody tells you, like, I want to be healthier is probably not their actual goal. But when you talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes, they will tell you, hey, I need to be able to focus better in the afternoon. When I wake up, I'm groggy. I'd like my sex drive to be a little bit stronger. Whatever the thing is, if you can build a a quick relationship with them, they'll really tell you what they want. And obviously that can evolve over the program. And then we go into, you know, what's your day-to-day schedule? What do you, you know, from the time you wake up, time you go to sleep, tell us your days. And obviously many people have a different weekday or weekend or different weekdays. And in the patterns there, we then match with, hey, draw me a curve of your energy level throughout the day. You know, from wake up to sleep, you know, if the y-axis is kind of energy levels or focus and the x-axis is wake to sleep, draw me that curve. And we really know how to match up. Okay, here's what you're doing. Here's what your curves look like. Here's the likely interactions. And then we go deep on your current exercise program, nutrition, family history. So we really gather this like tremendous breadth of data. And then, you know, we're getting ready to launch partnerships to give you a continuous glucose monitor and some other really cool tech at the beginning of your program too. And so we're bringing together this biomarker data, this wearable data, and the interview data. And then we design that first set of experiments. And then we're looking at those same data sets to understand the results of those experiments and where to go next. Blood work every month, wearable data every day, coaching check-ins typically at least every week. And when I hear this, I, I think two things. So number one, you know, it's a relatively high price point for most, you know, 99% of the people in the world. But if they're making that substantial of an investment, that's also going to dial up their you know, engagement, their discipline, their willingness to spend that time because they're they're really looking for a, a substantial change, not just, you know, hey, I caught a few more winks and I, I feel, you know, 1% better. That you're really looking for a, a sizable step up. Has that been the experience so far for the folks that come in looking for that kind of intensive three-month coaching? It definitely helps to have literal buy-in. Uh, and so, you know, we we do find that helps. We also spend a lot of time making our programs work for our customers. I always say you have to customize three ways to your body, to your goals, and your lifestyle. Our customers are busy people. If I ask them to do 100 things at once, they're not going to do any of them. Uh, So we've really designed our program to be flexible to that and also to make some parts of it super easy for the client. So for example, we run our own custom supplement packaging facility. If we want you to take supplements, you don't get bottles. You get these like individually customized packs like you can see here with your name on it. We produce them and FedEx them out typically the same day. Again, just trying to be thoughtful about ways to make your life easier. And in terms of, so, so I was trying to think of like the, the stumbling blocks that I would imagine that would come in the future, because you do have this potential huge moat in the data. You have this background that is highly specialized, highly differentiated. And one of the other things that I basically came to was the notion of discipline. So if we're talking about, you know, highest echelons of the military, Navy SEALs, that's as disciplined as they come. And top executives, top entrepreneurs, while exceptionally busy, usually got there through a relatively high degree of discipline. So when you think about something more like an artificially intelligent coach that, you know, it isn't 
that maybe isn't the same, not only monetary buy-in, but, you know, the, interacting with Siri, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a jerk to Siri than like the actual people in my life. <laughs> so from that standpoint, how do you think about stimulating the discipline to keep with these plans? Because there, there is also the, the eternal truth that, you know, I'd probably feel a little better if I just went to bed a little bit sooner ate less sugar and worked out a little bit more, went for more long walks. Like not, not to that, that's like the one one baseline of, of, you know, a plan and you can go way, way, way beyond that. But how do you think about the actual implementation when you know that you have the information to actually get people where they want to go? That's definitely a critical piece of what we're building towards. And there's three elements of how we think about that. So the first element is, Look, if we give you an average program for you, let's say a 50th percentile program, it'll work a little bit and it'll be hard to do. If I give you a 75th percentile program, kind of a better fit for you, it'll work better, but I bet you it's still pretty hard to stick with for the long term. But if we can dial in things to the 95th percentile, like an A plus program for you, then it'll work really well. You'll feel better. You'll have more energy. There'll be a virtuous cycle. So it'll be easier to do. Second, it turns out that there are already clear patterns about what people will do when and how to sequence things. Turns out that for the majority of people, asking them to start a meditation program early on is not a good idea. It's a very hard habit to start for a variety of reasons. It's a new time block. There's a lot of reasons, but it's very hard. So, but we know those things from working with people, but we're actually building a data set on compliance also. Because the thing is, people will typically tell their coach what they did or didn't do. And so it's an enormous you know, lift to build the, the data set on like what works for people. But to make sure we also build the what people will do piece of it is going to give us some really cool levers for understanding what somebody with your personality profile. We actually do a five-factor personality profile at the beginning of the program with your goals, all these things. Like, What, will you, what are you likely to do? And then the third piece is building in really smart, gamified, and interactive features. And so I think that will be a key part of you know, what some of what your team has experience doing, but also you know, one of the major product goals will be, we know how to help you. Now let's make sure we can help you. Got it. Well, you, you made such a natural segue for me. I've been someone that has heard from... I don't know how many people that, you know, you should meditate. Meditation's great. It's it's a, a worthy endeavor. Never been even remotely close to being able to get into it. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful to, to hear why, and maybe it's not literally not something that works for everyone, like you've said with some of these experiments, but why is that one of the pillars that you'll pitch as a worthy experiment for people? And what other, what else can you tell us about it? Because it, it comes up a lot. I've never really been even sold on giving it, honestly, the, uh, an, an earnest try. I think the best way to think about meditation is by analogy to weightlifting, because the science is actually quite clear that this analogy is, is accurate. So if you do more bicep curls, your biceps will get bigger and stronger. If you intentionally use a circuit in your brain, like let's say the focus circuit, it will get stronger and denser, maybe even bigger also. And so meditating is just intentionally using that focus circuit for a long period of time to essentially like stress it, just like if you were lifting weights or if you were going for a run. So you're actually 
you know, stressing that brain circuit, your brain learns, oh, I need to be able to use this more. And it puts more juice into it and, and it'll get denser, stronger. So the analogy there is really clear about why it makes sense for most people. So it can be a challenging habit to pick up because for, I guess, a few reasons. One, you know, anything that requires people to take more time out of their day, you know, our customers are busy people. And so that can be a challenge. Two, for some people, it feels like you're doing nothing. You're focusing on your breath. And I think that's where really understanding like that this is truly the equivalent of lifting weights for your brain is really valuable. But for some people, it's also just not the right thing. Some people fall asleep with it. I think so. For example, in those people, we may try breath work, which is a bit of a more active, but also has some of those same components. May, for example, depending on what you're doing, affect your sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight system a little bit more than the sort of neural pathways, but it can definitely give some of those results. So again, we're going to try, hey, if meditation doesn't work for you either because you don't see the results or you can't like really fit into your life, great. Let's try breath work for you. Or let's try, we have some really cool like meditation plus supplement combos or when you eat around meditation, we have some really cool ways to tailor those things together. And so, again, that's sort of the pitch for why it can be really effective, but there's no intervention that's great for everybody, and there's none, none that um, you know, doesn't sort of hamper the performance of some of our clients. Well, that's a really helpful analogy. I actually don't think I've ever had it explained to me that way, so I'm probably going to end up giving it another try here. But uh, okay, a couple more questions, and we'll aim towards wrapping up, Andrew. Um, one of the other notions that I had was, you know, a, a a decreasing rate of return to this optimization. Maybe maybe you don't buy the premise that there is some sort of just natural biological threshold that we're all, you know, limited to, but I, I would guess that you do. And, you know, I, I actually was talking about this interview with a friend and he talked about how he was a customer of Whoop, which is one of the, you know, continuous monitoring bands that people wear. And he had been a customer for something like, you know, four or five years. And he basically decided, you know, I'm spending a lot of money on this. I've done a lot of optimization. I've, I've made changes. I've, I've improved. I've, I definitely sleep better, do all these other things better. And now I can just finance an Apple, an Apple watch for like a third of the price and I'll end up owning it. And I, I, I guess I don't necessarily need to, you know, continue to be optimized. There's a point where there's a decreasing rate of returns to optimization. My understanding is that to one, to some degree, your, your, your company is about maintaining health and maintaining great levels of health. But there is this, this feeling, particularly in the start of, of optimizing and, and ramping up. How do you think about the churn problem when this is to some degree a subscription product and so therefore will be defined by its ability to reduce churn? So there's a couple of different things. So definitely on the optimization side, you're right. There are eventually decreasing returns, but people's lives also change. So, you know, one year somebody isn't working out that much and maybe the next year they decide they want to run a half marathon. And so that's a different set of optimization goals. The other piece is even when you're not optimizing globally, I didn't like, let's say somebody didn't sleep well last night. What should I do now? And so there's sort of like day to day optimizations and recommendations that, you know, our system will be able to read your sleep tracker, know what your workout was the day before, know where your stress levels are roughly and say, okay, um, normally you might do eat this breakfast. Now we want you to eat this different breakfast instead, or, Hey, take, uh, take that emergency supplement pack from your kit. 
hey, we want to, you know, we see that your calendar has a 20 minute block here. Like use the restroom, you know, answer a phone call. And then we'd like 10 minutes of breath work in that slot. And so there's this ability to generate your day-to-day sidekick coach that's not just about global optimization. And then, hey, now I'm traveling. What should I do on this flight? Now I had a kid. And so my sleep profile is very different. And that will then make sure you're continuing to perform well throughout whatever you're doing. Wow, that's so granular. I didn't even know that you guys had the uh, the calendar integration. That's That's wild. It's not there yet, but we're clearly building towards it. And we, you know, honestly, the the approach towards it is quite straightforward. So one of the cool things that Clayton, our COO, who happened, like I mentioned, is like an elite athlete and AI engineer and a bunch of other things, like he's built an, a sleep algorithm that can basically at any given time say, here's how much like sleep debt you have here's the optimal time to sleep so that we make sure you get a full night's sleep the next night. We don't interfere with that. So we have these things. And then you can imagine that was built for our jet lag product, but now that's totally applicable to your day-to-day as well. And so everything we do has this really cool sort of multi-applicability. And we just want to continue to build these things in ways you know that can help more and more people. I love it. it. It's an honorable mission, and I, I I can't wait to see the heights that you ascend to as a company. Um, one of my last questions is kind of an odd one. It's kind of orthogonal to what we we said so far, but um, you know, I, I've talked. I've done a couple hundred of these interviews now, and I feel my Overton window continue to shift upwards. Where I remember, like the the guy I interviewed, like the thirtieth episode, I was intimidated. I was sweating, and not to make light of that person, but like I just have you know raised my game to the point that that wouldn't be so daunting anymore. You've interacted with, you know, billionaires, top executives, professional athletes, Navy SEALs. Is it hard for you to be impressed by someone now when you come across them? I don't think it's hard to be impressed, but it's hard to be surprised. Like I I still find people doing, you know, building incredible companies doing incredible athletic feats. I still find them impressive and I really respect them, but I have heard a lot of stories and a lot of goals and a lot of achievements at this point in a way that, you know, I'm not as surprised and I can pattern match most things. And so, you know, to your point, like we can explain why you used to be, you know, a little tenser into those meetings and why you aren't now. That's like a classic, Hey, you know, uncertainty and social judgment are probably the two great human stressors once our like you know life isn't threatened and so you know one you've done a lot of interviews now you have a lot less uncertainty about what it's going to be like and two your brain has learned over time that you probably get the opposite of negative social judgment from doing these things people find it cool they love your show and so you know in a similar way i've decreased the uncertainty of talking to elite performers a lot because i've talked to a lot of elite performers and uh, you know the social judgment piece as well. Well, it's exceptionally cool. I I suspect that as more people hear about this and uh, watch shows like Billions, where you know Wendy in that show is like you know the the super high level performance coach, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that aspire to that role because you know if I wasn't blessed with being six eight LeBron or whoever this type of character is. <laughs> If I can help them accomplish those goals, that's an in, insanely cool uh, role to be in. So um, this has been awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. 
as we aim towards wrapping up, what digital coordinates can we provide for people who want to learn more about you and Fount? Great. So please, you know, come visit at our website, www.fount.bio. And you can also find me on Twitter at, at Andrew Her Bio. And, you know, shoot me a direct message or, you know, sign up for the program by our website. We're happy to answer any questions and yeah, just love to keep pushing this forward. And I really appreciate you for having me on, Aaron. Absolutely. I'm going to link all that in the show notes to this episode. You can find it in the app where you're probably listening to this or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before we let Andrew go, I'm going to give him the mic one more time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. For me, I always want to push people to run experiments on themselves. So I would say pick three experiments over the next two weeks, let's say four days each with a day off in between them. So pick three experiments, you know, could be nutrition, something around your sleep, you know, think about one piece of it that you have a sense or you've heard from other people, oh, this really matters. Maybe it's cutting down red meat, which unfortunately we see for a lot of people is inflammatory. Maybe it's decreasing sugar. Maybe it's eating more fish for the omega-3 fatty acids. Maybe it's eating more vegetables with any meal you have carbs in it. For sleep, could be wearing blue light blocking glasses. You can get ones that work just fine off Amazon for 10 bucks. Just make sure they're orange in color or else they're not really blocking all the blue light. So pick three experiments, two weeks, four days each, one day off in between, and just tell yourself, like, do I feel better day to day? Am I have do I have better focus, energy, mood, sleep? And if you have a wearable, watch the data change. And I'll bet you you'll see that you can both tell what's going on in your body. And you'll also know like some of our clients, red meat does affect them and others it doesn't. And like I like steak, but unfortunately it affects me negatively. If it doesn't affect you, amazing. You don't have to worry about it as much. And there's also something to running all those experiments. So I actually get teased by my wife because I just have a new experiment or new diet every other month. She's like, oh, it's the diet of the month that you're messing around with. But I'm trying to, you know, see what, you know, this this food or that food is is affecting me in some way. And it it gives you an internal locus of control. Yes, there are all sorts of things that are wildly outside of your control, but there are things within your boundaries that you can affect to make yourself feel better, to be more engaged with little effort, with little discipline, with a little consideration. And that's what it sounds like you're encouraging everyone to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, thinking like, oh, I'm going to change my diet forever might be complicated, but just do four days. Anyone can do four days and then decide if it's worth it. Do you feel better enough, you know, enough better? And if you do, great. And if not, don't. And or maybe, hey, like the week before your board meeting or the week before something, maybe you'll make the change just then. But again, it's not, you know, this is not like optimization for optimization's sake. We want to help people get their goals. And so I think people will find if they have more tools that they know work for them, it just allows them to take control of their life and, and really decide what they want for themselves. And I, I love that idea as we move forward in this world where we have all this media, social media, TV, kind of like trying to tell us what to do. I want you to be able to have the tools to decide what you want for yourself. Yeah, I I love that. I was reading the uh, the Packy McCormick overview of founding. He's like, you know, skipping breakfast. Yes, no, but also maybe. It's like, okay, <laughs> guess I guess I have no clarity. Thank you. Yeah, and again, it's just like the answer is for you. There's an answer depending on the day, but. This for another person, it's the opposite answer, and and that's okay. And you should expect that would be the case. Like we just discovered this new sleep supplement, sort of by chance. We were 
working on it, uh, a compound and a fruit extract for workout recovery. It didn't seem to work that well for that, but just happened to notice that about a third of people slept 20% better deep sleep night one. So they felt way better, but a third of people also slept worse. And so if you'd run a study, a standard study where you just look at the average outcome, you would have said that doesn't work. But actually the answer is for a third of people, it's a home run and just don't give it to the other two thirds of people. Amen. Well, Andrew, like I said before, I'm so excited to see you continue to build this. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today and sharing all your wisdom with us. Thanks so much, Aaron. Really a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to trying to help more and more people. We just went deep with Andrew Herr. Hope you're out there. Has a fantastic day. Hey, hope you enjoyed my interview with Andrew. If you did, I think you'll also like our past conversation with Sam Parr, the founder of The Hustle. He recently sold his company to HubSpot. We talk about that and the biggest sales of his career. Check it out.